Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode number 201 of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh, life coach, recovering alcoholic, and entrepreneur. And this is a coaching podcast about healing, recovering from life or whatever ails you, and becoming a better person so you can feel good, be happy, and like who you are. I'm super excited about today's episode. I have been looking for a professional person to broach this topic for quite some time, and I think I found the right person. We are going to talk about codependence. What is it? Do I have it? And what can I do about it? So let's take a quick minute and welcome Michelle Ferris to the show. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for coming on and doing this episode with me. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Oh, Angela, it is such a privilege to be on your podcast. Let me tell you, thank you so much for having me. Why don't you take a moment and just let everybody know a little bit about you and what you do? Sure. So I'm a marriage and family psychotherapist in California. I'm also in recovery. Uh, The reason I became a therapist is honestly because of my own recovery. Uh, because I was one of those kids that knew I was in a dysfunctional family, but kept trying to figure it out and I couldn't. And so I had the fantasy of when I get out of the house and into college, my life is going to work. And then I very quickly flopped (laughs) because I had no coping skills. And so I got into recovery when I was about 21, just before my 21st birthday. And that's when I realized, holy cow, there's hope. And you know, I mean, being in recovery changes everything. And that's when I started really looking at my own um, childhood. I had food that I was using to cope and then uh, codependency, of course. And I'm super excited to talk about that because I honestly think that codependency is sort of the, the hidden chapter of addiction recovery because people get sober from food or their behavior or substance, and then their relationships are a mess and they don't realize why. So I'm super excited to be able to talk about this with you. So was it your experience with relationships that really drove you Mm -hmm. to make this your specialty? Yes, because I was in recovery for about 13 years and I, I mean, I certainly had a better life for sure. Right. I had my tribe, I had people, but I wasn't really serene because my relationships were not working really. And I was addicted to people and I, I kept looking for them to validate me because I had no clue how to validate myself. So that's when I, kind of hit another bottom and said, okay, damn, I have to start another (laughs) recovery um, because I wasn't willing to when I first started. Uh, And that was sort of the turning point. And that's the other thing with people is I really want people to hear that 
you know, you may start with one substance or one issue and it's really okay to realize that if your life still isn't where you want it to be, there's another chapter for you. You know, there's probably another program. There's probably some other stuff that needs to be worked out and that's okay. You know, that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Yes, 100%. And what you said so resonates with me too when you said yep. addicted to people because as an addicted person, I can be addicted to anything. If I mm-hmm. do something and I like it, I will want to do it more. It doesn't matter what it is. And I always share this story about this girlfriend of mine. And the first time I met her, we just really hit it off. And I had such a great conversation with her. And I remember leaving that coffee and my little head just went crazy, right? Like, oh, she was so great. I wonder what she's doing later. Maybe she wants to have coffee again. Maybe she wants to go see a movie this weekend. Maybe I should see if she wants to go have dinner. Like my little head just started going crazy because- I enjoyed spending that time with her so much that, of course, I just wanted to do it more. Yeah. And I had recognized that I didn't do romantic relationships well. Like, I was very aware of that. But it took me a while to recognize some of those same patterns in other things. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I think that's a really important distinction that you can be codependent with anybody. Uh, but it's also, well, I guess I should probably define it, right? So, so how I define codependency, because there's a million different definitions out there and a million books, which are great. But to me, it's about focusing on others at your own expense. So these are the people that uh, are known for helping, being super generous, being the first to volunteer, being super responsible. So that's the other thing with codependency is that some of these traits are really lovely and you don't actually want to change them. What you want to do is use them in moderation, but there's usually that place where we hit that wall of, okay, now I'm sacrificing myself and now I'm going to keep going because I don't know how to stop. That's what codependency recovery is, is learning where that stop gap is of, okay, if you ask me a favor and I really don't have the time or energy and I actually say, no, you know, Angela, I'm really sorry. I can't help you, but I could help you find somebody or an alternative. I'm taking care of myself and I'm not hating on you later. (laughs) But if I say, oh, sure, I'll do it, whatever you want. And then realize, oh my God, I have no time. I'm going to have to cancel some appointments to accommodate Angela And then the resentment brews, and then I'm not going to speak up because I'm codependent. So I'm people pleasing and codependents don't like conflict. So now there's this brewing anger going on and it's just a mess, you know, but that's what we do. Yes. And I'll tell you, I had all of these major light bulb moments with codependency, right? As it was dawning on me that I had this issue, that it was a problem, that it was unhealthy and all of those light bulb moments for me were in romantic relationships. Absolutely. And I love to tell stories about, you know, how it dawns on you and how you figure these things out because most people relate to stories better and remember stories better. Mm-hmm. But I've shared this story before where many, many years ago when I was still the much unhealthy version of myself, much unhealthier version of myself, (laughs) that I had such an incredible need to be with my boyfriend, ride with him, go where he was going, do what he was doing. It was so important 
important to me to be with him because I felt okay when I was with him Mm -hmm. that I would sacrifice everything that I needed. And Mm -hmm. one time I rode with him. I had a huge event at my business that I owned. I had planned this event. It was huge. And he, I wanted to ride with him, right? Instead of driving myself Mm. because I just felt better Mm -hmm. when I was with him because I couldn't feel good by myself. (laughs) Hello, codependence. But (laughs) I rode with him. He decided to go across town and get coffee. It made me like 40 minutes late. My business partner was pissed and it was insane. And I wanted to blame him. Well, I can't believe he did this. I can't believe he wanted to go across town for coffee. We could have gone to the coffee shop down the street. Uh And I wanted to blame him, right? But the truth is, it was my fault. Those, it was my decision to ride with him. I could have told him to beat it and I could have driven myself and been on time. But instead, in my codependence, what he needed and what he wanted was more important than what was happening in my life and what I needed mm-hmm. to do for myself. Mm. And then I had the resentment toward him because I wanted to blame him and make it his fault. But that was your light bulb moment, I'm assuming. Yes, for sure. That for me was just the first time that that word really made sense. And then when I could understand it on a deeper level, then I could start connecting those dots in how I did the same thing in other areas of my life. And maybe it's as simple as, you know, the oil is so funny. What do you want to eat? Oh, I don't care. Whatever you want to eat, wherever you want to go, anything sounds good to me. But trying to please everybody and always sacrificing what you want for the greater good to please everyone else, especially if it's like someplace you really don't want to go. If you're going to have dinner with your people, whether it's your family or your partner or whoever, you're going to have dinner somewhere that doesn't even serve food that you like and you're doing it just to not rock the boat. That's something to look at. So that to me is why I think we need to really look at mistakes differently because That is a perfect example of, yeah, we could beat ourselves up for doing that, but that was the gift. The gift in that was that you realized, oh my God, I am putting my relationship ahead of myself in such a way that it's hurting me and my business and other people. And that was your light bulb moment. And that to me is where we can utilize our mistakes, so to speak, and actually get the gifts out of them. And it's hard when you're stuck in those patterns. It's hard to start breaking them and doing things differently. Well, right. Because people who are codependent assume the worst. They assume that if I set a boundary, you're going to either hate me or leave me. And instead of when I, I remember when I first started saying no, I, I said no to something really small and the person's like, okay. And I was like, you mean I've been sweating this for weeks and the person could care less. And that's what we have to do is we have to challenge that false evidence appearing real because it's not true. You know, most of the time people are not really going to get that upset when we set a boundary or when we take care of ourselves. It's only when we make them wrong for what they're doing is when it's going to end up, you know, biting us in the butt later. And if somebody does have a feeling about me saying no to something or declining something, the truth is what my sponsor always taught me is what somebody else thinks is none of my business. Right. That's an important point. That's their business. They're perfectly allowed to have a thought of their own or have their own opinion about something. Like they don't need to give me the stamp of approval because I want to decline an event. Right. But it's none of my business what they think about my choice. It's just none of my business. I can't control it. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't change it, but I have to honor myself. 
Yeah. Well, and that also can be the test of a relationship because when you finally have a conflict, it's how do you manage that? And are you able to say, yeah, that hurt me, but work it out or accept it or let them know how you feel without making them wrong. That's when you know you have a real friend. What are some other common behaviors or actions that you see codependent people take? What are some real life examples? So they don't have a strong sense of self because of course they're so hyper-focused on other people and what they can do for other people. They don't really know what they want and need. So that's why boundaries are difficult. That's why self-care is difficult. Uh, Because again, if I'm super focused on you, I really don't know myself. Uh, The other thing with codependency is that they tend to have a super high tolerance for bad behavior uh, because we attract those chaotic people because they make us feel needed and wanted. Oh, they need our help. They have so much potential. I'm going to fix this guy. I'm going to make this person whatever. And it doesn't work, but it makes us feel so needed because that can also tap into childhood where maybe we tried doing that with our parents. Maybe we were their confidant. Maybe we learned to be the helper growing up or the quiet one that got great grades. You know, all of that stuff in childhood helps us cope, but in adulthood, it really wrecks havoc in our relationships and our self esteem and our self care. Um, the other thing is, it's really about, and I've said this before, but because they don't have that sense of self, they have to get that approval. And that approval is always externally based. So if I get a compliment about who I am, I'm really uncomfortable as a codependent. Ooh, you're saying I'm a good person. But if you say, thank you so much for helping me move. Oh, I can handle that. I want that. But a real, honest, genuine compliment can freak a codependent out because that is more about our self-esteem and our worth. And that's part of recovery too, is how do we actually start to let the love we do have in versus I'm going to control it and manipulate it so that I don't get hurt. Can you dig a little deeper into sense of self? Like what does that actually mean? So, okay. So I'll take myself as an example. I grew up and I learned right away. I had to find a way to get people to like me because I had no clue how to make friends, how to, it was just really hard. So in doing that, I was always focused on the other kids. I would bring toys. I would bring treats. I would, I remember one time I cut out pictures of Charlie's angels in a magazine and gave it to boys. I mean, you know, I was pretty creative (laughs) and, uh, But I didn't know who I was because when you're a child, you have to be self-focused to grow up functionally. You have to think of yourself and what do I feel? What do I want? But if you're not taught how to do that and you're actually taught to negate that, and maybe you have experiences in in your childhood that are traumatic and your caregivers negate that too and say, no, 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 that didn't happen. It wasn't that bad. Dad's not a drunk dad's not yelling at you, then you learn, oh my God, even my own perceptions are wrong. So that just reinforces the codependent person to not listen to themselves and keep focusing on other people. So you really, you really don't know what you want and who you are because you end up being the chameleon for whoever you're in relationship with at that moment, because that's how you think you're going to get love and approval. Does that make sense? 
Well, yeah, for me, this sounds like my whole 20s. This is what I did. Whenever I dated someone, it was all about them, right? We went to their places with their people, their friends. It was never about me. And this is why I wanted you to go a little bit deeper into that term, sense of self, because what does that mean? What does it mean to have a strong sense of self? We always throw out these terms, but nobody really explains what they mean, right? So sense of self, does that mean I know my hobbies? I know my favorite restaurant for my annual birthday dinner? I know my favorite color? Or does that mean something deeper? Yeah. Like, I feel like we do the same thing with the term self-care. That's true. People love to throw that term around, but nobody really goes into what that means. And there's this misconception that self-care is, you know, massages and meditation and bubble baths and all of those things are self-care too. But my skincare regimen is self-care. Drinking water every day is self-care. Brushing my teeth is self-care. It is taking action that is caring for yourself in whatever myriad ways that presents itself. So I wanted to dig into really what does that mean? Like if I want to work on my sense of self, how would I do that? So I love that you're bringing this up because part of sense of self is to know who you are, what your qualities are, what your strengths and weaknesses are. But the one thing I couldn't do in many years of recovery is I couldn't sit in my own skin. So part of the litmus test of your sense of self is, can you be in your own skin? Like, can you sit down for five minutes and actually be in your body and go, you know what? I'm I'm a good person. I'm good. Or do you run around the house like I did doing 10 million different things is what, what I did in my 20s because I couldn't handle sitting in my own experience because there was too much pain there. So I had to run at hundred miles an hour so that I could feel some type of worth rather than, I mean, it's a, it's an easy litmus test, but it is, it's like, can you sit and be with yourself and say, you know what? You're a good human. If you can't do that, there, there's more work. That's so big, so big. And one of the biggest challenges in recovery And in early recovery, when you're just irritable, restless, and discontent, you have so much going on and your past isn't too far behind you yet, like just to be able to sit and be quiet and be still is really challenging. Right. Well, and that's why, honestly, I can see such a huge difference in the people in recovery that do the therapy and those who don't. And nowadays there are places you can go that are really affordable. Uh, But I think some, you know, most people in recovery get to that point where the childhood stuff comes up, whether it's trauma, codependency, uh, you know, all that stuff. And that's the choice they have to make is, are they willing to start over and dig a little deeper to that next layer? Because I can't tell you that is the best thing I ever did. But, you know, a lot of people, and myself included. That's why it took me 13 years to go to Al-Anon because I was like, I don't want to be a newcomer again. (laughs) I was a little pissy about it. I didn't want to do it, but that was the best thing. And that's why I had to humble myself into another bottom before I was willing to go. And, you know, there's no, there's no shame in that either. It's like, it, it takes what it takes for you to start layer number two, but you know, it's like, I can't, 
if I could say one thing to everybody listening, it's like, it is so much better because the codependency recovery and the addiction recovery make me whole. I, I can't just have one. I have to have both because they feed off each other. Sometimes I want to eat because I have a relationship issue and it's like, no, I got to do, I got to do both, but you know, it's, it's a lot of work to do and, and it's a courageous road. Also that everybody goes through things in a different order. You know, my recovery doesn't look like your recovery. We deal with things in a different order. So some people may deal with codependency things early in recovery. Certainly if that's what your life circumstances are around and your Mm -hmm. challenges and struggles might be around those topics. So that might be something you deal with really early. For me, that didn't come until much, much later, like several years into my recovery when I had what I call my relationship rock bottom moment. (laughs) And that's when I really had to shift my focus and start digging into those things. But that journey is very different for everyone. Even with trauma work, you know, I wasn't at a place where I could effectively begin to deal with my trauma stuff until just a few years ago. I think I was 13, I think, about 13 years sober, and I'm just now 16, but 13 years sober before I was comfortable and ready to start dealing with trauma stuff. And a lot of it was not because I was feeling major effects in my everyday life from trauma, but I knew that it was inside of me and it was affecting me in ways that I'm not even aware of. So I was finally ready to start digging into it, but I still have a lot of work to do in that area too. Point being just that we all have a different path and things happen for us at different times. That's right. And the onion keeps peeling because I remember the first thing I thought about when I first came into recovery is, I'm going to have it all together at 10 years. And then I thought it was 20 (laughs) and then I hit like past 30 and I'm like, yeah, that's not the goal. The goal is one day at a time. We just keep going. And, you know, I think embracing that it's not going to be a linear process is hard because we want that success. We want to achieve what we want to achieve in sobriety, but we also have to realize it's, it's going to be messy and that's okay. Yes. Life is messy and nobody tells you it's not a linear process. I think especially those of us that do 12 steps, right? Because we have the steps. And when you do the steps, it feels like a linear process. And it's linear in its process, right? (laughs) But that's not linear in my life and healing process. I have had some of the greatest times of my life as a sober person. I've also had some of the most difficult times of my life as a sober person. That's just the nature of life. The beauty of it is in sobriety, I have light at the end of the tunnel. In sobriety, I have solutions where when I was drunk, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. There was nothing to look forward to because I was trapped in this little drunken, disgusting space that I had no idea how to get out of, but I had no coping skills. And in recovery, I have coping skills. I've gotten to learn and grow emotionally and become an emotionally mature person, emotionally intelligent. So I have solutions now. And things don't feel like the end of the world now, where before everything felt like the end of the world. Right. 
Well, that's what early recovery is about is we have the, that catastrophizing uh, because that's what we, most of us grew up with. So we just continue that until we kind of grow up enough to realize, okay, wait a minute, maybe I can change my story a bit and see it more as a, you know, this is my part. This isn't my part version versus this is everything that happened to me. And I'm, you know, the doormat. Do the effects of codependence change depending on how long you're doing it? Like if you're a good codependent for five years, is it different than if you're a good codependent for 20 years? Are there different ways that it manifests or is it the same all the time? No, I think this is such a good point you're bringing up because codependency can look different on different people. You know, you can have some codependency or you can be way on the spectrum of, you know, severe codependency, just like, you know, some people heavily drink, you know, they're, they're not drinking daily, but they're drinking enough that it's causing problems. Same with codependency. And that's part of the reason why people miss it is because they think, well, but I love being generous. I, I am known. I am super responsible. What's wrong with that? Nothing. But if it's starting to hurt you, that's when you have to go, okay, maybe I need to tweak something here then. Now, the other thing with codependency I notice is that there's a different, there's a couple different styles I notice. There's the people pleaser, and this is this was me, right? I would do anything for you. And I was super nice and I would never admit that I was upset at you. I mean, never, because I couldn't tolerate it. The other type of person, and this is someone I know, and I, I won't name them, but like I knew them for a while. And they were codependent too, but they were in your face, controlling, super organized, great at events, but kind of would crap all over you (laughs) without, you know, they didn't have the skills, but it was a totally different style. Their style was much more leading with control and leading with being somewhat passive aggressive and critical. Um, but they were codependent the same way I was. It just looked different because the people pleaser looks good. <laughs> so we may think, well, I'm, I don't really have a problem. People love me for what I do versus the controlling person is the one that, that people kind of repel against and go, oh God, I don't want to, I don't want her on the committee because <laughs> they're difficult. But again, they have good traits too. So it's just, I think that's an important distinction that I've noticed in the last few years. How is controlling codependent? So when codependents don't have a sense of self, right? They try to control people, places, and things in order to feel safe. Because again, the safety is not in them. It's outside of them. So that's where the control comes in. So the codependent might have a really hard time when anyone's upset. Oh my God. I'm anxious. And even me, I mean, I've noticed when people are upset, not anymore because I've done a lot of work around this, but I have to remind myself, it's not my problem, especially if it's high anxiety. I have to breathe. I have to not take on their feeling because if I do, then I go down the rabbit hole with them. That's so interesting. I would have never pegged controlling as a Mm. codependent thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most people with addiction are controlling because we feel so out of control in all these areas of our lives. So we get super controlling in the details and things we feel like we have control of. Yeah. And I just would have never thought of that as a codependent trait. But it makes perfect sense when you talk about it because it's still an external 
focus, right? External locus of control. So you're still looking for something externally to change your internal feeling. And I think they do tend to control more emotionally. Like they don't want people to be upset at them. So they stuff their feelings because if I can get you to like me, I'm good versus, well, I want you to like me, but I like myself too. So I don't need you to survive. That's what, where the recovery starts to show up is when we don't need that other person to feel uh, complete. So if you want to start shifting this behavior and becoming a healthier, less toxic, (laughs) more enjoyable human, because it is a much more enjoyable way to live, right, in personal responsibility. I mean, everything I do in coaching is about personal responsibility. You know, what was my part? How could I have done it better? Where did I slip up or make a mistake? How can I clean up my mess? Just really owning everything I do and all my choices. So if you want to start shifting in growing and changing that codependent behavior. How do you do that? Like give us codependency 101. Okay. So this is going to be like what codependency looks like. Recovery, sorry, codependency recovery. So the first thing, and this is hard, is that you have to start shifting the focus from externally to internally. Like literally wake up in the morning and instead of thinking, what do I need to do for you today? What do I need to do for me today? Even if you don't even know, like, well, I don't know, maybe I'll take a walk. Great. Take a walk. Or maybe you fix yourself eggs, even though your family doesn't like eggs. Right. So you literally do start with baby steps of what are those little things that could make your day a little easier. And the only way the codependent is going to do that is to start shifting that focus. It doesn't mean you're not going to still think of others. It just means maybe spend 25% of your day instead of hundred percent. Well, no. Yeah. Instead of thinking of someone else, hundred percent of the time, you're going to think of them 75% of the time, but that 25% a day is going to start changing stuff. Now the second part. So that's really the first part of codependency recovery is starting to focus on self-care self-esteem, like really starting to get to know yourself. The second part is relationship skills. We are, even though we're great relationship people in some ways, uh, we're not so great in other ways. We don't have good boundaries. We may get too attached. We get too dependent. We get too clingy. You know, we're not honest about when we're hurt. All that stuff needs to happen. We need to slowly start to gain some more relationship skill. Now, the third aspect, which is why codependency recovery is a challenge and for big girls and big boys, (laughs) because the last part is the family of origin work. And this is where you have to go back to childhood. You have to label, okay, did I come from an alcoholic family? Was there trauma? Did I grow up codependent and, and negating myself? Because the hard part with codependency recovery is that usually all those three processes are happening simultaneously. I don't get to pick, well, I'm just going to do the self-focused one. No, because I'm probably going to be triggered in my relationship and I'm probably going to have childhood stuff coming up. Now, it doesn't mean you have to deal with all of them at once. That's why I say pick the first one. But just know that if you're feeling really overwhelmed, you're in the right place, (laughs) you know, because this is a big process and over time it gets easier. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I just want people to have an idea of what to do or how to do it. And, you know, that family of origin work and trauma work, those things are really, really big. And those emotions are really big, especially if you're a person who is emotionally compromised. I mean, going into a situation where you're picking at all of those scabs and wounds does not sound like a ton of fun. It's really important to note with these issues also that this stuff, it is really big and it is overwhelming and they're not things that you do on your own, right? These are issues and struggles that require professional guidance. And I am a firm believer in that things come up for you when you are ready to deal with them. So for me, like I said about my trauma, 13 years sober, it's not that I didn't know it was there. I think I didn't know how much was there or I didn't know, I didn't realize for a long time how much it was affecting me in different ways, but it came up for me when I was capable of really digging into it and doing some of that work. But I don't beat myself up because it took me to 13 years sober. And that's what I want everybody to understand too. If things don't come up for you quickly, don't worry about it. You will know when you are ready to tackle some of those bigger issues. And sometimes it's that the right professional presents themselves you know, and that's what part of mine was. Like one of my girlfriends started doing this trauma work and she really liked who she was going to. And she told me about this person. And then it was in front of me. And I was like, huh, okay, well, maybe I should try it. So that was kind of the little thing that spurred me to start thinking about it and see if I was ready to dig into that. But if you're not ready, that's okay. You'll know when you're ready. You don't have to be ready. (laughs) This is not a race. There is no finish line. So let things happen in your journey organically. No, I absolutely agree. The other thing is that, you know, you can do Al-Anon or CODA. You know, you don't have to go right into therapy because a lot of people, and I did this too, is I tried to work my Al-Anon program in OA. (laughs) And it did not work because it's against the traditions. It's not the focal point. And a lot of people, I think, struggle with that. They, they think, well, I'll just do this in AA. Well, you really can't because AA is not going to have that recovery for you. So at the very start, if, they're, if you're willing to do one thing, check out an Al-Anon meeting. And I, I honestly usually recommend Al-Anon over CODA only because it's more of an established program. Um, you know, it's lowest you know, you can't go wrong. So some people would prefer the codependent uh, track, which is fine, but it just depends. You have both to choose. For the listeners, CODA is Codependence Anonymous. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's a little different than Al-Anon. I, I used to go to it. I tried it in the, in the late eighties and it actually had more rules, which I thought was interesting. And I, and I didn't really care for it. Now, some people really like the structure of it. So it just depends on what feels good to you. But um, honestly, you know, 12 step programs for codependency is really going to help you feel like you're not alone and you're not crazy. Other people get who you are and your generosity and, you know, you get to be loved up all over again and accepted for who you are rather than judged, which, you know, I think is great. 
Yeah, I agree. Al-Anon is so incredible. I feel like everybody on the planet should go to Al-Anon. You know, <laughs> it was such a beautiful part of my story too. And my sponsor had me go when I was pretty early in sobriety. He had me doing Al-Anon and it was so big because, you know, I have all of those things. I grew up with a lot of addicts and alcoholics in my family. So I had all the side effects from that. And it was really important for me to sit in those rooms and to get a better understanding of myself from a different angle, not just from the I'm an alcoholic angle, but from the this is another part of how my alcoholism happened. Yeah. That's so great that you recommended that for you. Yeah, it was good. I will say it was challenging at first because you're in a room of people and they're talking about my alcoholic did this and my alcoholic did that. And they're, you know, people are crying. Like it's a lot. Like alcoholics, we are a freaking handful. People with addiction are difficult. We are <laughs> difficult to deal with. We're difficult to handle. We're very difficult emotionally on the people around us. And it was hard to sit in that, right? But that was also yeah. a beautiful piece of healing because it gave me a really clear picture of the effects of my behavior on the people around me. And I don't think I had realized that part before um, either. And it was just good to get a bigger, more full picture of myself and who I was and how I was behaving in the world. Michelle, thank you so much for coming on and doing this episode with me. This is such an important topic and your insights are incredible. And I actually took a ton of notes because I have some more episodes coming up about codependence and uh, boundaries and self-esteem, you know, all those things play together. So thank you so much for doing this week, for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast, candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.